Hello and welcome to Unique We Trust, tattoo in our culture in San Fernando Valley, bringing you the latest who's making a mark in the Valley tattoo scene. Uh, I am your host, Anthony Sanchez. Today we're going to be talking to Alex Delgado from Custom Culture Tattoo in Reseda. Thank you for coming by the studio, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I feel, I feel for blessed, humbled. Thank you. Great. Uh, so uh, let's get into what's your favorite comic book movie so far. There's been a lot going on in comic book movies. Oh, jeez. Uh... I mean, I like them all, but uh, I'd have to say The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan. Mm-hmm. Are you Christopher into Nolan the, and Heath Ledger? Are you yeah. Are you not going to follow the next round with Robert? What's his name from? Uh, uh, oh, Robert Patterson. Patterson. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'll give it a shot. I'll definitely take a look at it because uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's six two, about two hundred and fifty to two hundred sixty pounds. Right. So he's a big boy. You know, he ain't no yeah. little cat. So Robert Peterson looks a little small to me, but you know, so <laughs> so did uh, so did uh, Christian Bale. Yeah. But he pulled Bale. it off real good. So yeah. Um, I just hope they do it justice. That's just my thing. I love seeing. I love seeing my uh, my childhood up on the screen uh-huh. better than I could ever imagined it. I mean, what, what was the first good superhero movie when you were growing up then? Because I remember the oh, Superman Psyche Right, right, one. right, right. Uh, um, Christopher the, Reeve. Christopher Reeve, yeah. Right. Oh, dude. I walk out of there, my parents said they were laughing because they were coming down the street to pick us up, me and my cousins. Mm. And they said I was running up and down the street like I was pretending like I was flying. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't remember when it came out, but it must have been like six or seven. Yeah. Have you rewatched it recently? I think I've talked about this before. The, the scene where Lois Lane's like, is everything big? <laughs> or was it oh, other? right, right, right. right. Down, you're like, that he, went. he was also looking through her whole dress, you know, and his <laughs> x-ray vision. Yeah, they had a lot of little subtle in there, but but you know what? True to the comics, uh, Lois and Superman, Clark Kent have always had that relationship. So mm-hmm. he loves her dearly. So uh, any any of your favorite actual comic books that you wish were like uh, actually on the big screen? I know that DC has been really good about creating animated versions um, of the books. Hmm. I'd like to see a Venom story done right. Mm. But, I mean, th- not to say that this one wasn't done right. I love this one. This I love this Venom movie, even though a lot of people don't like it. But um, the symbiote, didn't. it did wind up in San Francisco with Eddie Brock, and that's a whole other issue run. But um, they should have been more true to where it came from. And the hatred that the symbiote and Eddie Brock both hold for Peter Parker. Uh, what that's are your itself. what are your top favorite <laughs> <I'm a geek. laughs> your favorite um, characters in or comic books? Uh, I have to say uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, Peter Parker, uh, um, Logan, uh, Wolverine, uh, Bruce Banner. Uh, I like Thor, uh, God of Thunder. Who else? Uh, Oh my God! There's so many. There's Captain America from the early, from the Golden Age. I really. Oh, geez, those are crazy. Uh, Submariner, uh, Silver Surfer for sure. The Fantastic Four, obviously. Yeah, they have had, um, had no luck. But you know what? Really, when I was um, when I, I was born in 1970, so when I was about 70, about 74, 75, uh-huh. I discovered the Savage Sword of Conan. And that was right. put out by Marvel. It's not a comic book. It's more like a magazine, but it is drawn in pencil, and it's all comic and stuff. But, I mean, it is straight rape, pillage, and <laughs> <laughs> it's Robert E. Howard's adaption, you know, by Marvel. And they got some of the best artists to do this work. And the covers back then, you got to understand, the, I feel like, like art, a lot of art, 
is being and has been lost. And that's just my opinion. I, I can't speak for everybody, but I don't I don't see it anymore as much as I used to, nor do I see the work put into it to get there. Yeah. I'm nowhere near where I want to be. I'm completely unhappy with everything I do. Um, but I keep pushing every day because there's a fire in me that just won't quit. And what it is for me is I'm trying to become a proficient draftsman. And what that means for me is to be able to draw you anything from wherever I sit, whatever perspective you'd like or I'd like, or what I'd like you to see. And that includes <clears throat> every medium that I can work in, which anywhere from pastels to chalk to spray can to canvas to whatever, tattooing. I consider tattooing to be another medium. Take it. It is a really difficult, hard, one of the hardest mediums I've ever had to work with. And that comes with its own technical abilities. Like you need to learn the technical side of how to do it before you even try to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. When did you start drawing? Mm, I started tracing and I, I wouldn't say drawing. I started doodling mm -hmm. and tracing about the age of six or seven because like I said, I had gotten into some books and comics. My We lived in San Francisco at the time and my neighbor across the street was a Vietnam veteran hmm. and he was laid up in bed and the whole house smoked of cigarettes because he smoked nonstop. I think he was always doped up hmm. now that I look back. But uh, he had stacks and stacks of comic books. And the only thing he read was the, were the war comics, were the Army Men at War, Star Spangled Stories, um, uh, the Howling Commando, Sergeant Rock, where Sergeant Fury's origin came from, like all this stuff. And uh, I was fascinated a little bit by him, but I wasn't too much into the war comics. But he would, uh, for, for Halloween, he'd always dump a couple in me and my brother's bags. And we would switch masks and go back and get two more. <laughs> and he knew, but he would always, you know, we were neighbors. Uh, his, the lady he lived with was really good friends with my aunt who lived upstairs. We lived across the street. It was a beautiful, I mean, San Francisco to me was one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I knew that city like the back of my hand. At at nine and ten years old, I could take the BART down to Fisherman's Wharf, go eat in Chinatown, and be back in a matter of two to three hours. Like, that's how great that city is. It's the, the tra There's no traffic there. If you're in traffic, that's because you're in a cage. You're in a car. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason to own a car in Frisco. But anyway, so... Little by little, I, I was getting these comics, and I started just tracing them. Uh, I would lay them down. And plus, my dad at night, when he would get off work, we'd bug the shit out of him because he was an artist also, but he worked for the radio, and he would draw us Batman or Superman on a piece of paper and give it to us, and that was, you know, we'd run around the house like that was our toy. Um, yeah, I was just... Uh, all my stuff, even little toys I got were like little Batman mobiles because, I don't know, that's what it was at the time. But... Um, I had a really, I would say, messed up childhood, like a really bad childhood. And so I kind of almost, that was like my escape, really. My mom said she would find me behind the couch uh, going through my dad's uh, sketchbooks. And he would do full life drawings. And they're all women, but they're full, <laughs> <laughs> they all full life drawings. Right. And she also realized that this guy's got a thing for women early. 
because he also had on top of the bar he had one of those 1950s 60s shaker cocktail girls you know what i mean you yeah, yeah. Those? you put a cocktail drink in like a little shot drink yeah. you hit the button and she shakes yeah and she has little and my mom said she would always find her down there where all the sketchbooks were with her top pulled down <laughs> and i want to say you're a little blue at me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh I don't even know why I just kept going on the whole comic subject. But yeah, well, just how you got into art then, it sounds like it was from a very young age and comic books. My grandfather definitely. was an artist from what I hear, and my father was a really good artist. Uh, but here's the thing that I've come to realize, and he even told me, because I asked him at one time, and people will say, oh, your family, it's because your family. Right. And yeah. I find that as a bunch of baloney. That is crazy. I'm kind of getting to that point, too. No, yeah. because, look, you got to understand, you're only on this rock for a very minuscule minute in the grand scheme of things, if you think about it. You're not here for very long. Half your life in the beginning, you're on yourself, excuse my French, and the second half and the third half of your life, you're on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so in that little window, if you don't go for it, and get everything that you can out of this world and this life. Because you gotta understand, God, like whatever God you believe in, He did this for us. The universe is created for us. For no other reason, not for to look at it and think, it's created for us to use that energy and get on that positive wave flow. You can will something to happen. I don't know if you've ever thought about that principle of the law of attraction and everything and how that works. I'm more of a just, you know, I got to I gotta be the d disciplined and put myself into it. And even when on the days that I don't want to do it, I got to really push myself to do it. So that's, you know, w willing things isn't enough because I could come up with an excuse to not will it anymore, if that makes sense. Maybe because no, my religious... <laughs> A fundamental religious thing. I had to reject it so hard that there, my spirituality is kind of like. Here's, the, here's the beauty of this thing. This has nothing to do with religion or or any of that, or who you believe in or don't believe in or nothing. It's just the way the universe is set up, and the way the planets align, and the energy that flows through the universe from the sun, through the ground, up through the earth, brings up the flowers, and right through us. We're living, breathing organisms just like everything else on this planet and in the universe, per se. So if we can hone in that energy, which uh, I, I've, I've seen it happen for myself. So in reality, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know that the, the energy of positive thinking and really wanting something bad enough that there is no, there's no such thing as failure. There, there just isn't. There's not. It's not a, it's no, there's no way near. I don't look at it like that. I don't believe in a backup plan, which I did at one point, and that kind of threw me off. Uh, but no, at this stage in my life, I'm just going for it and getting everything I possibly can. Um, I see you're also into UFC fighting, or you also have done some as well. Um, well, I was. I've been training. Uh, I've been training for a long time since a kid. My father always. I owe a lot to my dad. I mean, even though I got to say this about my father, he was one. He was probably one of the best dads, but the worst husband. Hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, he was a real bad husband. But he was a great dad. Um, he started me off in boxing when I was about seven years old, and just Western boxing. And then from there, we moved to L.A. And then he got me into Kung Fu Sansu right there on Lancashire Boulevard 
There used to be right before Burbank where that Denny's is, there used to be a Kung Fu Sansu on the corner, and then right next door there used to be a martial arts store that was been there for decades and decades. I don't even know if it's still there. But you'd get your gi and you'd get your stuff and you know, you're a little kid getting in class. I did that for a while. And then I didn't do anything for a few years and then I met a, uh, I met a kid by the name of Todd, Todd Goosen and P.J. Goosen and Mike Goosen and all these, these fools from North Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were all about the same age, and I had another good friend who knew them, too, because he went to Walter Reed, and I was going to Bird Junior High, and the Goosens wound up being the Goosen boxing family. Um, Joe, Ted, all those guys. Michael Nunn came out of that camp. I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Nunn. He was a champion for a bit. Um... Anyways, uh, so I stuck with those guys and, and picked up a lot more bobbing and weaving. But then my old, another one of my best friends who was taking judo since the age of six and seven, he said, you're like a top. He'd take you and spin you on the table, grab you by the ankles, and toss you halfway across the room. And I said, huh? What do you mean by that? And he said, you got nothing on the lower half. And so I started working nothing but lower half, which was legs, judo, Muay Thai, kickboxing, savat, a lot of savat. Uh, we would go down to, to Huntington Beach and do savat tournaments. Uh, a guy by the name of Diego Alvarez, David Toscano, which is a Sifu, Alex Reyes, which is another Sifu, uh, Guru Louie, another Sifu, um, Mark Stewart, Guru Mark Stewart, Sifu Mark Stewart. Um, those are all the guys at the camps that I came out of. Um, also with Dan and Osanto, Guru Dan. Um, Master Ted Wong. Um, oh, man, he would have you just practice one punch for eight hours. Just one punch. Oh, my God. Like all the martial arts movies? Like, just kind of do the same thing over yeah, and over again? Yeah, he was traditional because he was one of Bruce Lee's original students. I see. Um, so he was traditional. But everybody else after that, like, for instance, David and Alex and Louie, these guys from the C-Lot Academy, PDK, because they're ridiculous, man. They took this thing and they streamlined it and turned it into a more efficient fighting system where you're fighting for your for your age, for your type. You're, you know, I'm not going to be standing in a parking lot trying to box somebody for six, seven minutes out of your mind. Um, uh, that, that's it. That's all I could say on that topic. <laughs> um, how's the, the loss of Kobe Bryant affected oh, you? Oh, man. You know what? Um, I followed him from the beginning. I was a big Lakers fan. So I, was, I was from the worthy Cooper, Russell, Magic uh, era, Abdul-Jabbar era. Uh, but I still followed the Lakers when Shaq came over, and, and I was happy to see Kobe, and they were doing it. And first thing I thought of Kobe actually was a ball hog. <laughs> I said, oh, man, this ball hog don't pass the ball to anybody. And uh, But like he said, for a million shots, he might make just that one. So I could see where he was going with it, the determination and the drive. So I gave him all that respect. Um, followed his career here and there um, through that scandal he had in Colorado. Even that, I still stuck with him. I, wore, I remember wearing his jersey to a Dodger game. And I heard fans yelling BS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was just like, you know, some people were cool, some people were yelling BS, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, his retirement was all that. But when it when he when he crashed and when he passed away, um, I was trying to explain to my mom who he was because you know my mom's old Latina and you know she's old school. She, you know, who the hell was Kobe Bryant? I don't know Kobe Bryant. But as soon as I showed her a picture of him on TV, she was like, oh. 
and that's when I felt it in my heart. I felt, oh, excuse me, I felt, man, this guy has touched so many lives and you know people know him just because of who he is as a wonderful human being and what he did so much for the organization he played with and not just that for his family alone true family manager and you know what like my mom says god takes the best ones for himself or like he's just like it's time to come home like no more suffering just come on just come on just come on you know i think that's how he feels but also i also believe that heaven's not there it's not there yet it hasn't been built. <coughs> it hasn't. It's not there. It's not there. Yeah. No, um, That's another. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we could segue into, um, you know, your, you do your, I saw you do oil paintings. You mentioned oh, that you do all this stuff. You know what? And I, and I saw you do like a lot of skulls and flowers. So. Um, yeah, what, in my oils or in yeah, the general? Um, yeah, I, like, I, I do. You know what? My oils are a little bit of everything. I love doing everything in oil. Uh, I have done some really nice skulls. I have done some nice flowers in oil. Uh, but the skulls are more of studies. I'm still studying the head, you know, from the bone to the muscle to the flesh, everything from the from down up. And everybody is different. Every, you know, it's just, it's just a study is what I do with the skull. So with, whether I'm painting it, tattooing it, or drawing it, it's always to me a study and, and how I can get this or that or push this or, you know, or have my way with it a little bit. You know, because uh, here's the thing about a skull, and I'll tell you the same thing about a rose, uh, which, is which is part of the subconscious, is I could show you a rose done by a two-year-old and look like a flat pancake but you'll still know it's a rose. You'll look at it and go, oh yeah, it's an attempt at a rose. And I can show you a picture of an amazing rose. And you'll be like, oh, that's a rose. Because your mind already knows it's a rose. You know it's a bad rose, but you still know it's a rose. If I were to show you something that you've never seen before, drawn two different ways, one by a two-year-old or one by an artist, you could tell which one's better, which one's what, but I feel like the subconscious plays a lot into that. So when I start doing skulls, I dig deep into the subconscious and try to pull out what's there, what's not there, what can I get from it. Um, so a skull is always gonna be a study, but oil paintings, oil paintings are my love. That's, I, I could, I'd rather do that all day and night, but it doesn't pay the bills. Um, you've, done, you've done some art shows though, right? <laughs> yes, I did an art show downtown at the LA, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the, the art fair they have once a month, I believe. Okay. And we, got, we were able to set up inside uh, on a corner where the big Floyd's and barbershop is. Okay. They have like yeah. this, that's right there, the big doors that roll up. And what we did was, uh, it was three artists, and we each got a uh, section of the shop, and I took the front. And I just pretty much took everything I had. I took a bunch of pencil sketches, everything was finished. Pencil, oil, um, some tapestries, and a couple of portfolio books of uh, tattoo work. Kind of showing stuff off. Do you feel like that's a whole other world trying to get get into that type of art scene? Um, yeah, yes it is, yes it is. And the thing about it is that it's pretty clicky, but uh, but I, I don't I don't look at it like that. I don't look at anything like that because I can do it. So I can walk in and show something, and they'd be like, oh, nice. oh hey, nice, you know, like, uh, I can paint. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm still learning. I'm a, I'm a student for life, but I can paint. I know what it takes to put something down on canvas. And I had a good friend named Richard, uh, Ricardo, he's from, from uh, Brazil, another great tattoo artist, gotta give him a shout out. Um, 
he actually broke me down because I went when I first started oil painting I didn't know anything I didn't know what I was doing I just knew that I needed paint and I needed oil paint and a canvas and I, was, and I just started going at it and they just weren't coming out right I was just like what the and then, oh man you know frustrated so I was driving down full uh, excuse me Riverside towards Fulton, and right there where the, on Whitsitt, where the Val surface, Kitty Cat Corner, there was an art studio there, and it was run by a guy named Eli, he was a Jewish guy. Really great man, I mean, this guy was awesome. And I walked in there, just out of the whim, and started talking to him about oil painting, and I looked around, and I said, man, this is some amazing stuff. And he said, do you paint? And I said, yeah, I try. And he said, well, do this. Bring me one of your paintings. I want to see it. And I said, okay, shit. So I, you know, so I said, okay. I went and I, I, uh, I brought it, and he looked at it, and he said, oh, man. He said, you got it. He said, you got it. He says, all you're doing is your steps are all out of whack. You're doing step three when you should be doing step one. You're doing step one, and you're doing nine. You know, you're like, your steps are all out of whack. You're not in order. And I told him, what does that mean? And he said, you know what? Come to my class. I'll give you a couple, I'll give you first week free, first month free. F it. He said, so I'll give you the first month free. And uh, I said, cool. And so he, uh, I showed up on a Thursday night. And yeah, he, he, he got me going. And by the second to third week, by the third week, I'd already finished one painting. And I was on to something bigger. And I noticed that he wasn't really giving me much much tutoring. He was just letting me go. And I would ask him questions depending on what. And his thing was, because he ran a business, that he made it really easy for you to all of a sudden bang, start, you know, start pulling out these amazing oils. Because he, gave, he, he sometimes would sit down and do your foundation and then tell you, okay, this is what you do, this is what you do, and show you different techniques. And, and he only really used one brush, which I thought was kind of, you know, kind of cool because I know artists that use a whole bucket of brushes. And, no, he would use one either. It was a household brush for background, and it was a small flat. I think it was an eight flat. Uh, a certain company, but I ain't gonna tell you which one. And uh, <laughs> but it was an amazing brush, and he could use it for everything. He, you know, he'd get it on its side, he can chisel, he can line with it, he can fill. Oh, it's just an amazing brush. And uh, so and he sells them, so I got one. And um, he just left me alone, and he started challenging me by giving me some really hard things to paint. And he just looked at me and he said. Yeah. And he offered, look, when he was retiring, he offered me his business. Nice. He said, I want you to take it over. And this, he says, you saw how easy it is. You just got to be here. They pay once They pay once for the month. You get students. You get two classes, one in the morning, one in the night, four days a week. Take the rest off for yourself. And I, I guarantee you, Monday through Thursday, you're going to have this place packed with people painting. And because he, because I knew his system, you know, and he was an amazing painter. He was, um, he was, um, he was hanging in galleries from New York to here. He was Jewish, and then he went back to Israel to, you know, kick it. Um, just a wonderful man, man. Very giving, and uh, oh, some of the stuff he was showing me and different techniques. Uh, he showed me how to work with the palette knife, just complete palette knife only. Um, he also showed me a lot of colors which I came to realize later, like I said from my friend Ricardo, who helped me a lot, a tattooer and painter from Brazil, he, uh, he broke me down. He straight out told me, he goes, why do you have all these colors? 
And I said, well, I like this and I like that and I like this and I like that and I like that. And he goes, no, 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 get rid of all that. Get, get rid of all that. Just red, yellow, blue, a little bit of white, a little bit of umber, maybe a little bit of black. That's it. Three basic colors. And you're white, you're black. And I was like, but, 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 no. Out of all that, you can make any of that. And so I was like, ah, true, you can. I mean, I know the color wheel, but I mean, oil for everybody is so intimidating because the moment you start messing with it, you could turn it to mud. But the beauty of it is you can bring it back from mud and go back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> uh, I learned that also how to paint a little bit with by Nico Hurtado, who was another great tattoo artist. And I did a seminar with him years back and we did a color seminar and he was, he was putting down uh, swashes with tattoo ink with a brush on paper and showing the mixes and the blends just like it was oil. And I, I, I was already oil painting, so I kind of really took that liking to that to where I hope he doesn't get mad if I say this, but I shot about 15, 20 minutes of that video <laughs> on my cell phone, and I have that. So, yeah, that helped me out a lot. But, yes, I love oil painting. It's, it's my, I, I could do it to the day I die. And everything. I just started painting animal portraits of people's pets. And I've got a couple commissions that I need to finish. Uh, bear with me, people. I'm working on them. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, so, has there been any uh, people that have inspired you? Then it sounds like you mentioned oh. a few, but like other famous artists or what? Well, we I, talked about comics. We uh, talked about your teachers. Any other things that kind of? Well, it's inspiration for tattooing for me. Uh, I did my first tattoo when I was 13. And that was like a little bit of a BS thing. It wasn't really me, it was my best friend. His name was Tony Seriano, uh, rest in peace. He passed away a few years back. And and what happened was um, I would always get dropped off at his house. That's the guy that I was telling you the story earlier about, got dropped off in the morning, my mom. So my mom dropped me off at his house another time. And um, I go in his room, and he breaks out a little bottle of ink. He goes, ah, look what I got, look what I got. And I was like, what is that? And he stole it from his brother's room back in the back of the house named Carlos, which he was a gang member, and he hung out with all, he was like four or five years older than us. We were like 13, so five years to us older at the age of 13 is like, that's ah, already a grown-ass man adult. Right. <laughs> so uh, I was like, man, are you going to get beat up for it? He goes, ah, oh, it took me... He goes, uh, I want you to do a TS on his hand right here for Tony Soriano mm. and type lettering. And on me, he was going to do an AD, which is after death, but really means Alex Delgado. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I said, all right, cool. So we got a sewing needle out of his mom's machine, you know, the long one, not the little one, the long one out of the machine. And he started to string while we're watching Tom and Jerry and cartoons in the morning. He's stringing. He just uses a whole spool of red and he makes this round little ball on the end of the this needle and so it looks like a, like a little prison shank but it's just a round little fat ball and he uh, coats it with Elmer's glue I mean he did all I'm watching him. he took Elmer's glue and he coated the whole thing with Elmer's glue let it dry and it turned to this hard you know nice little like a little pick a little stick and poke so uh, that's what I did he put a little TS with a little pen and he said all you gotta do is just poke it because he's seen his brother do it so that's all I did was just poke it poke it poke it move along move along move along move along move along and that tattoo still stayed it's probably one of the best tattoos he's got on his body <laughs> <laughs> and then when it was my turn because I mean this was already like 
I don't know, maybe like 12, 30, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, something like that, you know? There's a honk. Beep, beep, Alex. And so I'm like, fuck, bro, I gotta go. <laughs> and I ran out. He got it. out of it. Well, no, I was for it, but he never got he never he got, got the chance to tattoo me. And uh, we were both in it so much because it just looked cool. Yeah. But the messed up thing about it was to get a tattoo and to kind of hang out around that thing because they were homemade machines they were uh, ink from uh, back then it was Savons they'd go get the Vaseline the paper you know and they'd have to wait for them to come back after you went shopping and uh, and all the designs were from a photo album filled with letters like envelopes you know from, from jail they had designs on them and stuff that was his flash and but these were gang members these were guys from the neighborhood and at 13, 14, all they did to us was bully us, punk us, and steal our lunch money. So I didn't want to. I couldn't hang out with those people. They were just not nice people. Yeah. So it was easy <laughs> for you to stay out of gangs, because like I've no. said, like growing up, it was. No, I got into gangs. I, I got jumped in when I was 13. Okay. I figured, you know, at that point, it, it was, you know, you were just there, and you know, all your friends were there, and it just became the thing. We just kind of went with it, but. The guys that were doing the tattoos were the older cats, and those were the real bullies and stuff. But once you get jumped in, then you can go and, you know, you make sure you have like twelve, fifteen dollars on you and a twelve pack, and <laughs> and no, I swear to God, and that's all they cared about. And so what they were doing was the prison tattoos, straight up, yes, like okay. in the garage, in the back of the house, or at their kitchen table. And I saw them put those things together, and I was fascinated by how these things worked and. And what they did with them, you know, they did some. I had some pretty nice work on me from those guys, and um, but again, um, I didn't like hanging out with that element, so I leaned more towards graffiti. I really fell in love at the age of 14, 15, and 16, all the way probably to my mid, mid, about late teens. I'd say maybe 20 at the length. I got a baby at 21. Yeah, about 20. Um, I got into a whole other thing called DTK, which was Down to Kill. And they were a graffiti crew led by a guy named Blinky and Charles B. Marks. Oh, it was just these, these guys were just putting up pieces back in like 84, 85. That was just unheard of, you know. Down here in L.A.? Oh, right here in the San Fernando Valley. Okay, uh, in the Valley. If you're from the San Fernando Valley and you're my age and you were from that, around that area or even anywhere in the Valley, you would see pieces by, T, by DTK that were just... Oh, mind-boggling. I mean, it's everywhere now, which I love it. Uh, but, man, we, we were really doing some really cool stuff. And the designs were mainly by Blinky and Charles B because they had their vision. And we were just little kids, you know, staying out late doing the fill-ins. <laughs> <laughs> but it was amazing to see and watch these guys get down, you know. And, and now, and what tripped me out is everything has evolved. Technology, everything has evolved in every industry, even with spray cans. Because back then, it was just spray can. You know, if you didn't have a razor blade to split it or something and get a different effect out of it, now there's a whole market for it. You can buy your tips. You can buy your special cans. You can buy, yeah, you can buy your whole graffiti kit crew in mail order, you right. know? And a lot of that, I feel, is what's happened to everything. You mean rather than stealing it? Well, no, I mean, we wouldn't... Well, we, I, all, all the people that I knew that tagged, you know... Well, we, I mean, I'm not going to say that that didn't happen. I don't want to incriminate you, because... <laughs> no, no, I'm not... Look, be honest the with sheriff's that. office is going to be out there waiting. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that that didn't happen, but you know what? For me, I always had a, I always had a part-time job. 
So I remember having to buy cabs. Because, look, I got arrested for graffiti in, over by North Hollywood Park when I was 16. And my parents were so disappointed in me. And my dad wanted to smack me with the skateboard across the face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my old school, they were, they were not happy at all. I got picked up on a Sunday night about 1030 when I should have been out at a friend's house going to the movies. Instead, I'm over here riding my skateboard, tagging stuff up in North Hollywood. And um, so... Uh, so they weren't too happy about that. But my dad being an artist and always telling me to find a school, get into a school, get somewhere, get somewhere. But we were low, we were low income, you know? It wasn't like a lot of options I can go to. So what they did for me was they walked me in the backyard after they scolded me and they took a wall over by a shed and they said, you see that whole wall that's there? That's your wall. You can do whatever you want. Paint it till it comes out of your butthole. That's how my dad said. I'm not afraid. He goes, paint till you got paint coming out of your butthole and out your mouth. And he says, paint till you're content. And just, I don't want to. I don't ever want to hear. I don't want to ever have to have a, get a call that you're arrested somewhere for this type of BS. Do it here. And I said, okay. So next thing you know, I had 10, 20 friends back there almost every <laughs> after school. Everybody's painting. And, but I got really good at it, and I really enjoyed the colors and everything, and I started traveling. I would go up to Frisco. I'd go to different states just looking for that stuff and taking pictures and, you know, throwing up bombs with other crews. And that lasted till about 18. Um, night I met a girl and, you know, got her pregnant and started life. <laughs> <laughs> As it goes. Bought, bought into the rat race. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about your tattoos, your the ones that are on you, because you mentioned we've These had... Were all the most uh i'd say 95 percent of these tattoos were done were done by an artist named robert atkinson out of Ten Thousand waves here in, uh, in san fernando valley he's over off of woodman and ventura highly 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 recommended uh, i consider robert to be probably one of the best in the world uh, i mean there's i know there's a whole bunch but at what he does and how he does it and as good as he does it uh that's enough on that <laughs> i mean i get stopped in the streets for what i have and my, I've given him my whole body from ankle to neck. Uh, I got to finish off the back of one leg, start my ribs, stomach, and I'm done. And yeah. Um, what about your own tattoo? Do you, are you when you tattoo? Do you have a style? Or you, I mean, you know what? This is this is what kind of was uh, where I'm at right now because I'm pretty much starting over, completely over. And what happened is. This, what you see on my body and the art that I love of tattooing, uh, was made mainly influenced by the old um, Japanese woodblock prints. You know, uh, those, um, those classic motifs. Um, I would see those. They were simple, sim simply simplified ones. You got samurais, you've got geishas, you've got all the ryus, you've got all the peonies, you've got everything in there. Uh, but there were these woodblock prints, and I would see them down when they would come into town at the uh, L.A. County Museum of Art. And then I started noticing the tattoos of this style, but they were a little different. They were more menacing. You know, artists were putting a little more spin on them. You know, they were still using the classic motifs, but, man, they started just, you know, getting a little wild with this stuff. So I fell in love with the artwork. And so I sought out someone that can do that type of artwork because that's what I wanted my whole body to look like. I initially said, I want that bodysuit. Oh, man, I, I want a suit. <laughs> Does, you know, like, that Yakuza kind of thing? Uh, or just beyond that? 
Yeah, because I was in that mentality at that point in my life. I was I was a straight gangster in my life, and I was I'm not proud of it. I don't you know it's something I don't I don't talk about. I don't people ask me things I don't don't talk about it. But yeah, at that point in my life, that's that's I, yeah I wanted that shock value. I wanted to be able to go to the beach and nothing on my neck, nothing on my hands, and just take off everything. People go like, oh my god, like, <laughs> like you know, like just but. Also, uh, by starting to get tattooed by Robert Atkinson, uh, he kind of pointed me in the right direction on a lot of things because initially I wanted color, you know, I wanted this, I wanted that, and no, some of the things we talked about just really made sense. So as I've gotten years and years and years have gone by, uh, I appreciate that. I'm very grateful for that because, man, um, it's all uniformed. It's all uniformed. It's right where it all should be. It flows. It's, it is just one amazing piece of art, you know? And I don't consider it one. I, I consider it not a but. I consider it one tattoo, just one whole tattoo that keeps growing because it doesn't, wherever he goes, he can just keep going. And I don't want to trust anybody with that but him. You know, that's, yeah, that's it. Um... So uh, your shop, Custom Culture Tattoo, mm -hmm. yes. uh, it's, you run it, you started it. Uh, these are all, all questions I, I have um, to get. Well, what happened was um, uh, I got hired. I was working at a few, a couple of different tattoo shops, and I was looking, I was looking for a place that would give me uh, like like a stable, stable shot. You know, some places were like two days a week. We'll call you maybe this day, two days here, two days there. Uh, Custom Culture called me and uh, a guy by the name of Marco Antonio, another great artist, he wanted me to come in for an interview. So I came in, brought my portfolio book, we chatted for a while, um, felt very comfortable, and he said, if I can start tomorrow. And I said, oh man, I, you know, I, can you give me two weeks? You know, because I have to let the other people know, I can't just bail. And, and I've always been like that, you know, like you, if you want people to treat you a certain way, you treat them the same way. Uh, everybody in life gets treated accordingly. And so, um, so I came back two weeks. Oh, um, the night before I was supposed to start work, um, I get a phone call from a guy named David, and he says, "Hey, yeah, you're starting tomorrow." And I said, "Oh, hey, who are you, the manager?" He goes, "No, I'm the owner." And I said, "The owner?" And I said, "I thought the other guy was the owner." He goes, "Oh no, he's not here no more." And I said, <laughs> "I said, oh okay, uh, everything all right?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I just need you to be here. Can you be here for sure?" I go, "Yeah, I'll be there." So I got there, and uh, David's a wonderful guy, David Crawford, another great guy. And uh, sat there. I met a, a guy by the name there, uh, Oswaldo Lima. Call him Ozzy. Uh, he was in there tattooing. I think this guy named Miguel Chavez was in there tattooing. There's like two of them. So now it's three of us, and you know we're doing it. We're kind of. I said, what the heck? I might as well stay. So I started tattooing, bringing clients, getting getting work out of there. And but what I noticed was it was just like a lot of shops that I've been been in that were just not running right. I mean, at least at least I didn't see it that way. For instance. I love David and everything, but he had like five other businesses, and he ran his own company. So this was like a, a like a side thing for him, where he was an absent owner, just never there. Mm. He'd have to call him for supplies and this. And then at one point, he asked me to 
to manage it for him. He said, hey, Alex, can you manage the shop for me and hire another artist and take care of all that? And I told him, no way. I said, no, no, no. I've tried that before at other shops. No way, dude. I, have, I don't, who am I? No, 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 no. I said, no. I need to keep my head down, mouth shut. I need to keep working. So he just kept going, kept going for a few more weeks, a couple of months. And then one day he walked in and threw his hands up and said, uh, I'm going to offer it to you guys first before I let anybody else know about it. And um, uh, it's for sale. So you guys think about it. Get back to me in a, few, in a few days. If you guys want it, cool. If not, then I'll sell it to someone else. And me and Ozzy, you know, we were already, each of us, planning on going somewhere else. I had other places I was going to go, just buying my time. Ozzy had already been looking. We didn't know about it. And so we sat there and looked at each other and talked about it. And I said, you know, um, we could keep doing this rounds and rounds and rounds and keep going and working for people and who knows how it is or who knows how it is. Or we could just make a run at this, dude, and let's just see what happens. What, what do we got to lose? We're already here. And he said, you're right. So we, we bought it. We bought the LLC. We bought the name. We bought everything. I mean, it's, we didn't buy the building because that's held by the landlord, but uh, I did buy the entity of it and put me and him as officers and president and secretaries and all that. <laughs> the board of directors. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's how David ran everything. And so yeah. when, when he wanted to turn it over to us, he said, you guys should take it like this. And we were, and I didn't understand any of that. I've never, I've never done this before in my life. I didn't, I, man, I know these guys probably thought I was the biggest a-hole for the first couple. Of, maybe they still think I'm a biggest a-hole, but, <laughs> but man, I got OCD, and you know, paperwork and bills and the rent and the permits and oh, it's just, I was a little overwhelmed, man. But uh, we took it on. We've done so far two remodels in it. Uh, we're very, very happy with the way things have turned out, clientele-wise, and artists that have come through there. Um, it, it's not easy by any means, and it has been rocky and tough and tears, blood, sweat, all that. But at the end of the day, me and Ozzy, I love that kid to death, and... Uh, you know, we're gonna ride it out till the wheels fall off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you mentioned Ozzy's at the shop. Who else is at the yes. shop with you guys? Um, uh, Nacho. Uh, stuff for Ignacio. Ignacio Meja. He's a, he's another great artist. He started there as an apprentice, and man, just watching him grow, and watching some of the work he's pulling off, uh, you wouldn't think he's only been tattooing a few years. I mean, he's still got a long way to go, yeah, for sure, and a lot. But I can see it in him, and I can see, I, I can see it in him, you know. And that's that's what I like to see in people is, is what I what I feel in me, you know. I like to see that in other people when they do their work or when they go after something. Um, yeah, he's great artist, Ozzy. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I stuck there at Custom Culture from the very beginning was when I was looking over his shoulder and watching this young kid creating this geometric mandala on some girl's arm. I mean, it was flawless. Like, flawless. Like, I, 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 you know what? I don't even know how to explain it because uh, I don't see that. That's rare to see or to find. An artist that has that much... Uh, how should I say that much control 
on being under. I mean, for me, I, I can't pull a I can't pull a straight line to save my life. <laughs> and I've been tattooing over almost 15 years. Uh, but this kid just like he's got it. Some people got it. Some people. He, his tattoos really look fine, like really fine lines, smooth, crisp, clear. I call them crispy. There's <laughs> crispy lines. Just oh, Ozzy's probably one of the best artists I know. Like and I know I know a lot, but uh, in different styles. But his line work is I haven't seen anybody match his line work. You know, in, in straightness and in cleanliness and thick, thin—you name it, depthness, everything, healing—you know—he's got it down. Well, um, it sounds like we got a little, got a great uh, story from you. Oh yeah, <laughs> you I, I run at the mouth, man. I'm sorry, man. I apologize. Um, do you have any upcoming projects for for your own work or at the at the shop or? I've got some unfinished tattoos that I'll be finishing up this week, um, some flowers on a girl's foot. But what I'm focusing on on 2020, actually, is, um, like I said, I'm, I'm starting completely over. And a lot of it was because I fell in love with um, the Asian-influenced artwork of tattooing, the motifs and everything that comes with it. So I told myself that that's it. If I would have spent the last 10 years concentrating on just that, I think I would be a little more satisfied with where I would be at right now. Maybe not whole happy, but at least have a little bit of satisfaction. Because one thing that someone told me, and it's really a person that means dear to me, they said, I want to see your portfolio book. Can you bring it in one day? And I said, okay. And I brought it in for them to see it, and they flipped through it, and they said, oh my God, oh my God, oh damn, oh wow, wow, wow. And I was like, he goes, you got. He goes, you got S. You know, you got stuff in here that I wouldn't even attempt. There's stuff in here that I would be like, hell no. I'd be like, you, hey, that guy over there, or that guy over there. Like, you got stuff in here that I, there's no way I would even try to do. But what I don't see in here is everything that's on your body and everything you say you love and everything. The whole reason why you got into this, not one, not even a little cherry blossom, not even a petal. You know, he goes, what I see here is a guy who's tried to be one of the best portrait artists in the city or one of the most realistic black and gray, and you have some great color, and but I don't see any of the traditions in here that you told me that you wanted so bad because I gave it to you on your body. And that way, any problem, any situation, any question you might have, just look, look. And if not, pick up the phone and call. So that's the relationship I have with that man that just, man, I owe that guy a lot, dude. He introduced me to, at the time, Jasmine Drigenberg, who was Dan Drigenberg's uh, wife or girlfriend at the time, and they turned me on to machines. Because back then, you couldn't get a machine from Dan unless you'd been working in the shop for a certain amount of years, and they were a minimum anywhere between four and $600. And I didn't have anywhere near that money. Jasmine Drickenberg sold me my first liner for 150 and man and then Dan sold me another liner uh, excuse me a shader for 175 and fixed the original liner and made it even more sharper like oh I just like I said the community of tattooing is open arms and um, you're gonna take a lot from this industry you better give some back you know definitely give some back
Good words to end on. Alex, thank you for coming by the shop today. Uh, Remind us where we can find you on like Instagram or the Instagram is by underscore Alex underscore Delgado, D-E-L-G-A-D-O. My Facebook is Alex Delgado Tattoos. Uh, you can check out the Custom Culture Instagram. That's a, that's a good one. That has links to all the artists and a bunch of work on there. That's Custom Culture Tattoo Studio. And we do have a website, which is www.kktstudiola.com. Cool. All right. Again, he's Alex Delgado from Custom Culture Tattoo. For more information, you can go to kpcradio.com. I want to thank you all for listening. I am Anthony Sanchez. Thank you, Anthony.